Welcome into the KSL Court Report, May 4th. Game two, the Jazz getting ready to take on the Golden State Warriors. Andy Larson again in San Francisco, getting ready to travel across the bay into Oakland uh, as the Jazz hope to even this series at one apiece. It's going to be much more difficult, though, as the news was announced today. The Jazz will be without George Hill. Andy, when did you learn? Was this something you saw in game one, or is this just you know that big toe acting up again? Yeah, it's, it's just acting up again, and, and, and Quinn Snyder said it's not any worse than it was in Game 1. It's just, and even, heck, Game 7, it's just that uh, they've kind of decided that watching him, he's not being effective on the court. You know, he was he was 3 for 9 in, in Game 1, and he running into screens is not being an effective defender, and so uh, they've decided to sit him out and hopefully and kind of hope that changes for for Game 3. But, yeah, I mean, I found out walking into shoot around today at 10:30. Um, you know, just PR says George Hill's out, and you know it wasn't on the injury report last night, and it, it kind of seemed to. No, I mean I don't know that the news surprised the players, but it su- certainly surprised the media coming in. Derek Favors was questionable going into Game One. He ended up playing. Any doubts about his status, or should he be a go? Yeah, um, he's he's a go for sure. Um, Quinn, Quinn Snyder was asked about him today as well and kind of said he's just above that effectiveness line where <laughs> uh, the Jazz think he can still contribute and help his team, um, but it's kind of the same thing for him. Like he's That back issue has been a thing for the last 18 months, two seasons now, and so uh, it's just kind of a matter of whether or not he can still help, and, and it, they thought he did in Game 1. I guess it's no surprise. I mean, these two guys have been beat up all year long. It wasn't Favors' back. It was his knee. But now, I mean, he's had a bad back for a couple of years now. George Hill's been dealing with this toe that he's going to have to have surgery on or something come the end of the season yeah. because a toe injury like this shouldn't last an entire year, especially with how long he was able to sit out. I mean, he didn't play in, what, 30 games this year during the regular season, 32 games. So I, I guess at that point you should expect something to come in the offseason and maybe another procedure for favors uh, as well but it, obviously it's early to speculate on that do you suspect then that the jazz are playing this george hill toe injury as a bit of a tactical use to hold him out by just saying the likelihood of winning a game two at golden state when he's banged up is low let's see if we can get him at you know 85 percent as opposed to 65 percent for game three yeah I, I mean there were times at the end of the game where they just rested george hill in game one right like i mean not of course rested him in in the normal sense but just at the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, um, heck, middle of the fourth, um, they just didn't play him. And, of course, Jazz were down, but you kind of would have expected him to play more in that circumstance. Um, and so, yeah, I, I honestly think that it's it's just that effectiveness thing um, where I, I don't know. I, I guess you could say it's tactical, but mostly he just isn't really helping the team right now. So, I, uh, you know, I, I guess the hope is... He, by sitting him, he'll be better somewhat for Game 3, although, again, you know, he sat out for a month, and it's it's not better. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. Tactical is a, is a weird way to put it, but I guess that's it, it just is the logical thing to do. Uh, I, here's what I will say. It, it's not like he's not effective. When he's out there, he's, play, he's just not George Hill. He's just not the normal guy yeah. that we saw early in the season, and he's still better than every other option the Jazz have, unfortunately, whether that toe is healthy or not. But, you know, I mean, he really does have to think about his future. He's got to try and sign his last major contract this offseason. I think the Jazz would like to show him that they were worried about his health because I think of all the point guard free agents that are available, and there's a great list this year that the Jazz can can knock on the doors of, 
George Hill is the most likely guy you're going to be able to bring back because he spent a year with your team. He knows what you're building. You'd like to have some of that continuity. I mean, I think that th- these guys each need to kind of look out for each other coming up in this offseason, and I certainly think the Jazz need to take that in consideration when they're looking at re-signing him coming up here in July. Yeah, I, I don't think that like he... I don't think he's making this call. I'm be- I'm betting it's the the training staff. Right. Um, but yeah, so it, at, at least he's not saying you know hold me out so I can be healthy when I sign my next deal. But I do think there's some certain sense to uh, you know I, that he wants to play in these games that that in my mind keeps his value high more than maybe resting out. So I know Quinn Snyder today at shootaround did not announce who he's going to be starting. Neto uh, didn't play much in Game 1. You did see quite a bit of Dante Exum, but it was mostly the two-guard. Does that just leave Shelvin Mack as the obvious guy? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's, it's, it, that would be my bet right now. Um, you know, it, when George Hill was hurt early in the season, Dante was the guy who started but then ended up playing fewer minutes than Shelvin. Um, and so, you know, maybe they go back to that. But I, when I asked Quinn about it today, he said, uh, whether they kind of moved Dante back into the point guard position, he said, well, it's it's still hard. Most teams don't play three point guards. So I, I think they're still thinking about Dante mostly off the ball um, because they, they frankly don't trust his decision-making when he does have the ball in his hands. And then, uh, yeah, so and then that leaves Howell, Neto, or Shelvin Mack. And uh, given that Quinn Snyder said he played Mac as the backup in Game 1 because he played well against the Warriors in two regular season matchups, um, which he did. He had 19 points in one, 16 points in another. Um, the the plus-minuses weren't good at all in, in either of those games, and I think there's still a real question mark as to whether he can defend Steph Curry. Okay, there's not a question Yeah, there's mark. no question about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas, like, Howell maybe can stay in front. So maybe they start with a defensive option and then go offensive off the bench. I'll, I'll be really curious to see what they do. Do we see the Jazz in Game 2 do very similar to what they did in Game 2 against the Clippers? And maybe it was really Game 3 where they started to make these adjustments mostly where you started to see more minutes of Joe Ingles guarding the point guard, where you started to see uh, Boris, not Boris Dio, uh, Dante Exum step out for you know a possession, and then you'd go to George Hill, and then you'd go to Shelvin Mack. I mean, will the Jazz get into this point where they start throwing several different guys at Steph Curry, or are they just too dangerous off the ball with their twos and their threes? Uh, and I mean, they're two guard and they're, and they're small forward. Are they too dangerous to, to play with lineups like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was curious about that and kind of asked Joe Ingles if they are starting to change. I, I think they want to give Steph Curry different looks, so I think Jingles may end up guarding Steph for times during this game. At times during this game, I think even guys like Rodney Hood or even Gordon Hayward, you may end up on that. But yeah, and then you end up having a smaller guy on Kevin Durant, and that's toast, you know. So, um, or on on Clay Thompson, or wh- whatever you have to do. I, I just don't know that the Jazz have a great option here to defend. Maybe the best way is to go with a point guard on Steph and kind of match up as as you normally would with you know Joe Ingles guarding Clay Thompson. I thought he did a pretty decent job of that in Game One, um, and Gordon Hayward did a good job on Kevin Durant. So maybe you take those as wins and, and hope. Steph Curry doesn't go off on you. I mean, that's the problem. 
is it doesn't matter like the when against the Clippers, if you can throw Chris Paul off for four possessions, that that's great. And if you can make him have a bad game seven like the Jazz did and he was tired, but if you can put him in that spot, you're going to win that game. And that's exactly what happened. That's why the Jazz were up double digits most of game seven. It doesn't matter if Steph Curry plays poorly, because they have Kevin Durant and then they have right. Draymond Green and then they have Clay Thompson. And all of those guys will play well if Steph Curry doesn't play. I mean that they are not going to have three of their four starters shoot two of fourteen from the floor. It's just not gonna happen. They're too good. Uh, and, and by four starters, I mean, you know, the four guys who are actually going to get looks, Zaza Pachulia is just kind of there to fill space and, and, and make a fifth man on that roster. That's the problem with this team, and that's where the Jazz are going to have such a hard time this series, is even if you take away one thing, their ability to counterpunch with several different players is just not something the Jazz are built to do, and they're not designed to do. And in fact, other than having a person like LeBron James who can counterpunch anything in the NBA, I'm not sure there's any team that's designed to really counterpunch. Maybe the best option is to hope that that Houston gets to meet up with the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals if you don't want to see a rematch of the Cavs and the Warriors again and just hope that Houston can shoot their way to a victory. Yeah, and I mean, even then, the Warriors absolutely have the same chance of shooting their way to a victory. You know, it's it's just it it's just you know it's a team the likes of which I don't know that we've seen before in terms of just their ability to shoot the ball and and defend the way they do. And and I mean, it's they're incredible. And then you know, it, it seems like we're making excuses for the Jazz, and in some ways we are, but you know, they're just. They're just so, so good. <laughs> yeah, and at some point you just have to tell the truth, and that's the Jazz. Right. We, You and I like to do our draft, where if you were to make a starting lineup or you were going to pick the top five players, how many would come from each team? Will you okay, go? So let's do that. Okay, let's do it. Kevin Durant, one. Yeah. Steph Curry, two. Okay. Draymond, three. Okay. Who's four? Probably Gordon. Probably, probably Gordon. Gordon over Clay. Okay, and now who's five? Because Rudy is not playing at 100%. Right. So, yeah. It it's either it's Rudy or Clay, and it's it's a toss-up. So they, they they realistically have four of the top five guys in this lineup, and their fourth guy, and Clay they have Thompson. The top three. Yeah, and they have the top three, and their their fourth guy, Clay Thompson. Any given night is the best player in the NBA by a huge margin because he can put up sixty five points. Right. <laughs> so I mean, it's just what what can you do about that? And, and we've seen these super teams that have as much talent, or at least close to as much talent as these teams had, where they've had you know two top five guys and another top twenty player in the NBA, or. Uh, or even a top 10 player. I mean, you, you look back at Chris Bosh and LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, that that's just an unreal trio. And those guys were all top 10 players when they were together. But they weren't built the way this Warriors team was built, which somehow came together organically outside of uh, Kevin Durant, really. I mean, they built these pieces up. They acquired Andre Iguodala. I don't think thinking he was going to be this missing piece defensively to make them so dangerous. Nobody thought Draymond Green was going to be an MVP candidate and a defensive player of the year favorite. They're, they're just unbelievably well built. Their chemistry is awesome. Uh, I, I don't know if it matters who their coach is, whether it's Steve Kerr or whether it's, you know, I, I would even say Mark Jackson would probably win a championship now if he had these players on his roster. So it, it's just, it, it's tough for the Jazz. It's an uphill battle, but this will make the Jazz considerably better next year. If they can yeah. get the same guys to come back next season that have played against a Warriors team and know what that team looks like for four games or hopefully five or six games, you come back better because you're not going to get better by playing teams that are worse than you, and, and certainly the Warriors are not worse than the Jazz. I'm thinking about it now, too. We kind of cut off that draft exercise right after we talk about Gordon and Rudy, right? But you know, with George Hill out, who's the Jazz's third best player? Right. Is it, 
is it Joe Ingles? Is it Derek Favors? Is right. it is it Rodney, Rodney. off the bench? Right. Is it Joe Johnson? Right. And and you know if you're talking about bench players, you're taking Andre Iguodala. Exactly. And Andre Iguodala is probably better than all four of those guys I named. And, um, I mean, how many and, minutes has Sean Livingston played in the NBA? I mean, they're just, right. it's an incredible basketball team. They're, they're really built well. JaVale McGee is one of the leaders in PER in the playoffs so far, and I know he's a goof and I know he's ridiculous, but he's effective. You know, doing what they need him to do, he's effective. He wasn't great against the Jazz in Game 1, but he has moments against any team in the NBA because he's so big and so athletic, and he's an afterthought. And when you can throw lobs to afterthoughts, they end up being really good players. And, and yeah. Right. So that's the trouble with the Jazz. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think this is part of the learning curve. I think you have to run into these teams that are juggernauts to just destroy you the same way the Jazz in whatever, 1989 or 1990, had to run into the Showtime Lakers. You just you have to take your lumps, and right now the Jazz are doing that, and you hope it doesn't end up costing them coming up in the offseason. Is, is it worth noting that they, the Jazz took that team, was it, was it to seven wins? Went, took or, them to seven games, yeah. They went to a game seven. Yeah, seven, seven games, sorry. But, yeah, I mean, so even, you know, I, I don't expect the Jazz to do that, but, I, you know, I, I think that may have pushed the, the Jazz may have pushed the Lakers then in a way that I'm not sure they'll be able to push the Warriors now. Um, especially when they're hurt. And I think if you can get a win in this series, it's it's a huge accomplishment. And again, it shows that you're you're on the right track. It shows that you're building something that's that's worth continuing to build. With that said, not getting too far into the offseason, uh, an injury last night that I think is going to have an impact on the Jazz is Tony Parker going down. He tore yeah. a tendon in his quad, so just above his knee, I believe. He He's out for the season. He's got to get surgery. The Spurs are going to go out, and I would imagine... I mean, they will talk to Steph Curry. I just don't see any chance that he leaves Golden State. And then I don't either. The number two point guard is Chris Paul. They will call Chris Paul. He makes a ton of sense going and playing for Pop, and he's going to be at a point where he wants to win, and it's a winning culture, and he's got another top five player next to him. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense to me. And if you can't get him, they probably call George Hill because he's a San Antonio guy, because Pop loves him, because he knows what the expectations are. And he steps in, and he may not need $30 million a year to go play for San Antonio the way he will if he's going to sign with you know, Brooklyn, which has been rumored, or sticking around with the Jazz. He's just He might not need that super full max contract to sign with San Antonio. And with Tony Parker out and his future totally in doubt as far as his effectiveness, I mean, I, I won't be surprised at all if this hurts jo- J- the Jazz's chances of re-signing George Hill. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, maybe even Tony Parker retires, and then you you know you you can use that cap space. You right. know, I, I think um, so. Yeah, that that may change. You know, another name. I, I believe Kyle Lowry can be a free agent this offseason. Is that true? But Kyle uh, Lowry is. Drew Holiday is. Jeff yeah. Teague is. I mean, honestly, here's the thing. For the Jazz, if you're losing George Hill this offseason, this is a really good year to do it. Because not only are there really good point guards that are going to be available as free agent, there's great point guards that are available in the draft in the top 10. If you wanted to move up there, there's three or four guys that are going to go. If you wanted to go crazy, you could probably trade up there and try and get one of those guys. And something we talked about yesterday on the show, they've got a, in Boston, they're going to have to figure out what to do with Isaiah Thomas. So let's say they draft Markel Fultz. He's the rookie of the year. It's so obvious he's a superstar or Lonzo Ball, and he has a better future than even Isaiah Thomas does. Well, he becomes available. And then maybe you go out and you get a guy like Isaiah Thomas. So I, I think this Jazz point guard situation won't be the gap that we've seen since Darren Williams left, where just until they got George Hill, it was just a major hole in the lineup. I don't think that's going to be a problem for the Jazz for the next seven years, regardless of what happens this summer. Now that that's two podcasts in a row that we've gotten talking about the offseason. Just like we, does that is that a bad sign for for the Jazz against the Warriors? I mean, it's just the Warriors effect. I mean, it's realistic. Yeah. Do it, I, I, t- Toronto right now. It's the LeBron effect. Toronto's talking about the offseason. 
You know, the Wizards are talking about the offseason right now. <laughs> Boston might be because they know they have to play LeBron in the next round, and he's playing at just such an absurd rate to the point where the, the last 10 games, 20 games of the regular season, I think everyone was talking about the, uh, the Cavs and saying, man, they just don't have it this year. That's not a team that's going to be able to compete with the Warriors. You look at how good LeBron is. He had 39 points on 14 attempts. Not 14 yeah. makes, on 14 attempts last night. It doesn't get any better than that. And now I'm starting yeah. to think, well, they don't have the best player in the series. And as long as the Warriors don't have the best player in the series, maybe the Cavs have a chance. And they're just they're playing good basketball. They haven't lost yet in the playoffs either. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, it's, I, I mean, I, I was kind of with people when I looked at that Cleveland team and thought this wasn't going to happen for them. They they couldn't play defense. And now they're starting to figure that out. Um, and, and that makes them scary again. All right. Andy's going to join us tonight on the Salt City Hoop Show. That's going to be coming up on ESPN 700. Uh, if you listen to this before that, we're going to be kicking off at 7 o'clock. It's going to be me and Zach Harper, and then Andy will join us from San Francisco as we get you ready for Game 2. If you'd like to sponsor this show, this podcast, email Andy, alarson at ksl.com, alarson at ksl.com, or you can tweet at both of us, at Andy B. Larson or at Ben K. Fan. And again, as always, we will be bringing you another podcast tomorrow as we get you uh, a recap on Game 3, or Game 2, I should say, and get you ready for Game 3 as you will see the uh, the Warriors returning to Salt Lake City to sit in their hotel rooms and just think about life. I guess. <laughs> so, Andy, I guess that's what you've been doing the last couple of days, right? Uh, not a whole lot of sitting in my hotel room, right? Like, yeah, it's I mean, San Francisco. It's, yeah. All right. Uh, We're going to be back with you tomorrow. Andy, good stuff as always. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you coming up tonight. Sounds good. Thanks, Ben.